Hi, my name is Taylor Clement, and I'm the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey. I'm the counselor at Kirk Day School. Our goal for our podcast is to walk with parents through issues and give tools and considerations in their parenting for topics that our students face each day. And today, we're going to talk about a topic that I think many, many parents bring up, whether it's um, some of our youngest students in kindergarten all the way up to our sixth grade students, and that is bullying. So we're going to start with a few things. Number one, where have we seen bullying just kind of in public media? Where have we seen it in our personal lives? Trying to define bullying, which is actually a really tough thing to do, but then talk about how we hope our students react in a situation like that, as well as our parents react. So starting out, uh, Maria, what would you say uh, you've seen for bullying for media? Where have you seen that? What would you describe bullying as? It's a really great question. I think generally speaking, our, it is, this is a hot topic in our culture. Uh, whether that be cyberbullying, whether that be stories about our leaders bullying others, um, and then I think just the constant division that we see could there's there's definitely some bullying within that division that we see. So I think our culture. A lot of times online is a big area, especially for the tweens and up through high school. Yep. Whether that be through YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat, it happens on all of those social media forms. And the biggest difference that I see between even when I was in middle school and and now what we're seeing with these kids in middle school is that there is a constant social interaction going on. Okay. When I would go home from school, the way that I would talk to a friend from school would be over the phone. Right. That was my only option. Right. Now, kids have a phone with them, some at all times, and can at any moment check Instagram, YouTube, I mean, kids aren't really on Facebook, Snapchat, and all of that social interaction is happening all the time. So they can't get away from it. We were able to go home, shut the door, mm-hmm. be done, and you're saying, okay, they can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. There, There is the addiction to the phone piece, totally, right? We, totally. we have the screen feed and, and things. Cyberbullying is a big deal, but I think what we typically see isn't even over social media mm-hmm. because it's too public. Yeah. And typically bullying is not a public thing, right? Yeah. Yes, to yes, there is a distinction between bullying and cyberbullying. Uh, there, there are similarities between them, but yes, the cyberbullying does happen much more so in public, on the public sh- sphere. Right, right. Whereas the bullying that we see at school, yes, is going on at school. I mean, this is their public domain, if right. that makes sense. This is their social world, so. In that sense, it's happening in a very public way. Bullying can happen both in front of others and alone, uh, you know, outside of or, or out, of, out of sight of teachers or other students. It can happen in, right. in both situations. So it is important to recognize that. Obviously, with our younger students who probably aren't on social media yet, we don't see it happening to them in that realm. At the same time, they are exposed to that type of behavior 
just through the osmosis of everyone around them being on social media mm-hmm. or even having the TV on. Yeah. So if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes yeah. perfect sense. When I was growing up, the the bully, the two bullies that I would define, one would, would have been Biff from Back to the Future, yeah. right? Hello, McFly. He was the quintessential bully, mm-hmm. right? He's a big guy. He's picking on someone smaller. He drove a, a particular type of car. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it was a cooler car, at least a rugged car. Um, it, there was some physicalness involved. There was a lot of teasing. And it was somebody that you couldn't escape. Now, there's depth in that character in the sense that as the movie goes on, you see you see more egregious behavior mm-hmm. being presented. But he's very much a stereotype. He's Definitely. very much a stereotype. Definitely. Then I think the, the bullies evolve, and you get into a movie uh, like Mean Girls. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got Rosalind Wiseman and Tina Fey writing this movie, and you get the Regina George character. And that is a whole new mm-hmm. generation of bullies where it is the pretty girls, the popular girls, um, and they're going to have their burn book, and they're going to do things. And I've seen that. I've seen that play out in the, at the high school level. But when it comes to our elementary kids, bullying is a very broad-sweeping term. Mm-hmm. A kid comes home, and mm-hmm. it's, it's like a word that they know. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is parents hear bullying, and they hear it the same as rape. Yes. Their and alarm they, goes off. Their alarm goes off. That is an alarming word, bullying today, because we, we know that there are very strong statistics. We know that there are very passionate campaigns right now against bullying, as there should be. The reality, though, is, is a lot of times our kids don't have the language to define the difference between a bad day, teasing, mm-hmm. bullying, maybe a moment of physical aggression. And not that we can excuse any of those but there are different levels in which that we need to deal because there's different heart levels, there's different psychological impact uh, that, that can take place with that. So as we as we get ready to look at, at these things, I guess let's start with defining bullying sure. because the reality is parents do ask, what's the school stance on bullying? Well, we don't tolerate it. Well, okay, that's great. But how would you define bullying? Well, that's really tough to define, and I want to be clear with that. That's tough to define legally. That's tough to define in a, in a very litigious environment. It's also tough to define in a more nebulous social mm-hmm. environment when kids are kind of learning how to be a part of the pecking order and mm-hmm. where their role is in the social norms. So And communicate le- even what right. they're experiencing. So let's jump into that, that piece. Let's answer the question, what is bullying? Why don't you start? So from the stopbullying.gov website, which is the government's kind of action towards bullying. They define it as unwanted, aggressive behavior among school-aged children that involves a real or perceived power imbalance. The biggest part of what makes bullying bullying is the power imbalance. Correct. And I would fully agree with that. And I've seen that time and time again. Time and time again. So, and and I would, and, and I will try not to refer to um, victim and bully and name kids like that and we'll get into why later but there is always a a power imbalance so meaning that someone is using their whether it be physical strength popularity strength money access to embarrassing info whatever that may be they're using that position to harm someone else right right and in a lot of what we're going to talk about today does come from our, our favorite group, access.org, 
they have a parent's guide to bullying. And one of the things that they even start out with is that the most petite, non-assuming girl could be the biggest bully to the biggest guy in high school on starting on the football team. Definitely. And they talk about that it has very little to do with the physical imbalance. It has almost everything to do with the psychological yes. imbalance of power and what, what that person can do to someone else. And, and I use those just as stereotypes that's not saying that the other can't happen. And I want exactly. to be clear on that. And you're going to hear us being quite apologetic in this because we, we also want to really protect uh, the understanding that bullying can take on so many different forms. So if we're looking at imbalance of power and we're looking at stories, because stories obviously build up and you have mm-hmm. a, a degree in counseling, have you ever been bullied? Yeah, uh, second through seventh grade. Uh, I ex- I went to a very small uh, private school. So there are maybe 10 girls at best from kindergarten through eighth grade. And there was a two groups, and the one group I was in, on the social realm, I was in the popular group, but one of the lower members of the popular group, if that makes sense. And so there was one ringleader, um, and some of the things that happened from the second through seventh-ish grade, um, they would take my food uh, at lunch, Sometimes they, if I would get up to get something, they would throw food on the floor or spit on it and then give it to me. And constant kind of teasing or talking about social events that had happened that I hadn't been invited to, all of that happened from, I mean, the time, yeah, second grade through probably seventh. And at seventh grade, I decided I'm going to switch groups. I'm not going to hang out with these people so anymore. Five, six years to... Yeah. Okay. So they would, like, throw a pencil on the ground, like, throw my pencil, or take my pencil, you know, during class, and then I wouldn't be able to find it. And it's like, well, where'd my pencil go? Or they'd take my piece of paper, wouldn't be able to find it, you know, as the teacher's teaching the lesson. So did you tell your parents? I did not until a friend told her mom, and her mom told my mom. So I confided in a peer who went to a different school that these girls were were really bothering me and being mean to me. And then she told her mom, and then that mom told my mom. Who saw Ferris pass out at 31 Flavors last night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, that's a pretty circuitous route to, yeah, to take. So definitely. what prevented you from going straight to your parents? So I'm a, I'm a rule follower uh, and a people pleaser. And so I was embarrassed. I was afraid that there would be fallout if I did tell my mom or dad. I obviously at that time didn't feel comfortable going to my teachers. Um, because If I didn't feel comfortable going to my parents, I definitely didn't feel comfortable going right, to my teachers. Right. So that was part of why I didn't say anything. Because I thought the ramification of saying something would be much greater than dealing with that every day. And I would say to this day, and I have worked through, I mean, I have been in therapy for a long time and worked worked through a lot of things, but there are still to this day remnants of those relationships um, and the impact that those relationships have had on how I see 
friendships now. Wow. There's still hesitancy to initiate friendships, you know, for me, uh, because I'm so fearful of that rejection, because that's so much of what I experienced in those formative years. Now, once my parents knew about it, they did a great job protecting me. Okay, talk us through that. Yeah. Because I think for you to be where you are now, to have just the, the ability to, to discern the way you do with social norms for our kids, if you're coming out and saying that my parents did a great job for that, that's a very big statement. Definitely. Tell us what they did. I think they tackled it in more than one area. So, for example, they let the school know, and then I sat down with my teacher and my parents and specifically talked through ways to let the teacher know what was going on. So, for example, I remember very vividly in fifth grade, my teacher Peggy Coombs, and this was around the time where the girls were teasing me a lot, and I was an awkward kid. I mean, I will freely admit, very awkward kid. But they were teasing me a lot. You know, that's the time where your body's changing, all of that kind of stuff. So they were teasing me about that, and then they would take my papers or my pencils constantly and, you know, in the middle of class. And, of course, being a people pleaser, I didn't want to interrupt class, and so I would get very anxious about, oh, my gosh, I don't have my pencil, I don't have my homework, what's going to happen? So we told the teacher, and she said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to raise your hand if they take a pencil or a piece of paper off your desk. I want you to raise your hand and say, Mrs. Coombs, I can't find my, my pencil or my paper. Can you help me? And that, to me, one, it gave me language to use to ask for help. Two, it took what was, in my mind, a very anxiety-provoking situation down to, hey, something happened to my pencil. Like, can you help me with that? And then it, it forced someone who took it to say, oh, here it is, without it getting into this huge ordeal of, well, why'd you take your pencil? All of, all of that can go from there, if that makes sense. So in some ways, it was a very easy, that was a very easy problem to solve, so to speak. Um, but for the first time, I was given a voice to stop actions that were harming me. And that was key. And that came both from my teachers and from my parents. The other thing I think my parents did really well was address it with the other kids' parents. And so I remember there was one party that one of these girls was having. And I was, uh, like I said, a rule follower and was really worried about what movies they were gonna watch and and expressed that to them and then got teased for that. And so my mom called her mom and and talked about what movies they were gonna watch and how that was impacting me. And then I remember having a conversation with the girl that was hosting the party saying, hey, we're gonna make sure that, you know, we watch movies that everybody wants to watch and that nobody makes fun of you for not wanting to watch a bad movie. So that gave me an opportunity with my peer to work something out rather than the parents dealing with it or me feeling the embarrassment. It's like peer to peer I was able to have a conversation with her 
kind of saying, this is what the party will look like. We're not going to, you know, we'll agree on a movie to watch. And if anybody teases you, this is the step that I'm committing to take. We're in fifth grade. So, I mean, not the Regardless, same though, it you've already stated it's made a big impact yes, on you. For How sure. did your parents react? I mean, my mom is a mama bear. So she was not happy. And we were very involved in the school that I went to. So, I mean, she was president of PTO, all that kind of stuff. I mean, she, everybody knew my mom. And I, I say that meaning that we had a, I don't want this to come out sounding the wrong way, we had a voice in that school. So for someone who was really involved in the school to have a kid who was having right. issues. Um, so she definitely came out strong with the principal. But overall, I never recall, and as an adult, my mom has not told me, you know, there, I, I called this parent and just let her have it about her kid. You know, I have not heard my mom say that, which is somewhat shocking because my mom is definitely a protective mama bear type of, of person. How did their reaction make you feel? The fact that they stood up for me, like, and that I felt like they were doing something about it mm -hmm. was probably the most helpful. That being said, I didn't realize that until I was an adult. I, I couldn't I couldn't name that as a kid that my parents were protecting me from you know by going to the teachers by talking to the parents I couldn't name that as a kid but I would say as as a kid what they what I did experience was what these kids are not doing or are doing is not okay so that part was communicated very well to me and I felt that sense of this, their actions are are not acceptable. And I think that helped validate some of my feelings. So what one of the things I'm hearing you say right now is that your parents didn't overreact. Correct. But they acted. Yes. The second thing that I'm hearing is it did not have an immediate psychological impact at, at a deeper level, but it's more of that action kind of changed the trajectory in, in, in a minutia in the moment, but long-term trajectory yes, it made a huge impact. Definitely. And I think mainly in the sense that I realize now that I was more valuable and I, I had more worth than what they were showing me. And at that age, than what my peers were showing me. At that age, your peers matter a lot. And so my value was definitely tied to their approval of me, right? My self-confidence yeah. was tied to their approval of me. And I also love that you stayed in the school. Yes, we do. And parents, that's not a retention piece by, by my side. I think a lot of times the majority of people do not have school options. We're, we're very yes. blessed to be in an independent school situation. Our families are very blessed in the sense that we're able to partner together for a private education. The reality is, Growing up, I, went, I was a public school kid. I could have never left my elementary school. Mm -hmm. That wasn't really an option for us. And if it was, it was a ton of work. And while moving schools is a big deal, it also can have, I would say, a very dramatic impact on your child as well if there's not a, a proper plan in place. So how did you feel parents coming in, helping you, and you're staying in that school? I hated them for a while. 
I mean, I cried. Oh, Mom, please don't make me go back. Please don't, especially around fourth, fifth grade. Please don't make me go back. I can't go back. I mean, we had 10 girls in my class. I didn't have a lot of options. And I couldn't tell you why my parents decided to stay. Probably because I have an older brother and a younger sister who were also in the same school. We yeah. went to the same church that the school was attached to. It would have t- radically changed our lives had we decided to switch schools. The thing that, I th- that I'm grateful for now is that I did stick it out. Because eventually what happened is as I was given words and language and the teachers helped me self-advocate, that eventually, and my parents, that eventually turned to me self-advocating. And in seventh grade, which, you know, back in my seventh, eighth grade mind, this was a major deal, I switched groups. I stopped hanging out yeah, with these girls. That's a very big deal. And that was my decision um, that I made. And so... I and that now that I look back on it, would from the type of temperament and personality that I have and had as a kid, especially, that was a very courageous move for that you know 11, 12 year old version of me because I was so people pleasing and compliant that to shift groups was like earth shattering. Well, just pause right there for a second. What would you say if fifth grade awkward because you said that yes I awkward was. Maria came to your office today and said I'm being bullied and I'm going through that you have a chance to speak to your younger self yeah. what would you say the thing that I want I would want to communicate most is that they're bullying you has much more to do with them than it does with you it's a very hard concept for fifth and sixth graders to understand. But if that isn't at least a tape that they roll in their mind and think about, um, you know, the, the chances of them ever seeing their value as greater than what their peers see it is, is low. So that would be the first thing that I would say is what they are doing is not because of you, but because of their insecurity. And my parents and teachers told me that all the time growing up, and I didn't get it then, but now I do get it. Right. And, and now it makes much more sense. And my, and this has been a process, my worth is not tied to how my friends are treating me. Um, and, and in adult relationships, that's super important. So that would be one of the first things I would say to them. And then trying to give them choice in what they do. Because one of the things that I really struggled with as a kid was feeling powerless and feeling helpless. Right. And those two things make bullying so much worse. It makes the impact last so much longer, and it really continues the, the person who is being bullied in a downward self-esteem cycle for years potentially to come. So I would want to do whatever I, I could to give them voice to, and choices in their in their peer relationships whether that I mean and that may look like hey sit with someone else at lunch I know from personal experience how difficult that is and at the same time I know that if they're if they don't feel like they have choice or power amongst their peers they're going to continue to to struggle with their value and their self-esteem 
It's interesting. I watched a movie last night about uh, two writers, and one of the writers is, is far more infamous than the other, but the more infamous writer was, I would say, bullied yeah. in a social club in 19th century Great Britain by another writer. And it's interesting. Both, both are famous. Both, both are there. But the reality is bullying does carry over to, to adulthood. Sure. It carries over to the workplace. Yes. And, and it makes impacts. So a few questions here. The first is you experienced this bullying, but did you ever participate in being a bully? Towards my sister, probably, yeah. I would say it probably got shown at home the most. So I have a sister who is a couple years, three years younger than me. And especially if we had kids over to the house, she would become my outsourcing of, hey, I want to show off in front of this friend that I know likes me and that I know I'm like in with and show off by making fun of, of my younger she sister. She becomes the whipping boy. She, yeah, yeah, yeah. What events do you think you experienced? Because, you know, taking your pencil, taking paper does not seem like a big mm-hmm. deal. What events did you experience that seemed bigger at the time or maybe smaller at the time where you can say, I let that one roll off my back, that one stuck with me? The spitting on the food and the taking of the food probably had that was probably a bigger impact than I realized at the time and And I foods Maslow's bottom rung yes right yes so there is that aspect I was also an over kind of an overweight awkward like I said girl and so that contributed I think to just the and these girls in my mind were all much prettier much more athletic, much more in shape. They had a a better physical appearance than I did. And so the food kind of added to that complexity of not just, man, these girls are doing something mean to me, but they're also hitting at an area where I feel really insecure in my own body and how food is involved with that. So I would say Mm -hmm. that probably has had a bigger impact you know the 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 pencil part and the taking of the paper part like was embarrassing in the moment didn't have nearly as the lasting impact um as as the food stuff did one of the things i've seen with bullying and what parents define as bullying is there are events versus the extended period of time yes and I want to be very clear on that because if a kid's getting into something at recess and there's a teasing moment, parents will, will clearly say that's bullying. And that, that looks like bullying, mm-hmm. but it's a one-off event mm-hmm. or maybe a mm-hmm. random event mm-hmm. in comparison to this imbalance of power over a period of time. I don't think I ever grew up with, with bullying over in a period of time. There were events, there were things, uh, I remember in high school, kids throwing other kids into a pool or sure. a, as a kid you go through the, these these few moments or days, you were talking about five years. Yeah, and that is one of the key factors when you, when you look at the research and the things and then the way that we have defined bullying is that it is over an extended period of time. It is not a one-off. It is not, 
even something that happens for a season. But yeah, we're talking about years. And and one of the unique things about being in the environment that we're in is that these kids travel with each other sometimes from, I mean, you know, the time they're four all the way until their t- the time that they're, you know, 12. That right. is a long time. And something unique about an independent private school setting. And so it is really important that we make the distinction that bullying happens over an extended period of time. And even if you look at the movie Mean Girls, I mean, hard to gauge what that time frame was. I think it was a school year. But that happened over a period of time. Right. And so, yeah, really important to make that distinction. One of the things that that we see, at least through our access guide and, and things that you and I both agree on, are the ways that parents should handle bullying. Yeah. And that's a tough thing. It is. It is. I've told the story before where, where even my father saw, I wouldn't say it was bullying, it was just aggression towards me, did not want to put up with it, was very appalled by it in the moment. Very interesting situation there, but he wanted to take action. And the first thing that, that Axis recommends and that you and I would both recommend is to stay calm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is so counterintuitive Mm -hmm. to what you want to do when something happens to your child. But it's to stay calm. And it, Axis says, we must not react to aggression out of hate, anger, or vengeance, but we do not have to submit to abuse. And I like that phrase. The goal here is not submission to it, but the goal is to stay calm, stay clear-headed, and take the right steps. The best way to handle a bully is not to return the bullying. Yes. And often when I have dealt with parents, what I've seen, and I've seen this at young, very young children, upwards of juniors and seniors in high school, has been a bullying situation or an event, and the parent responds with proclaiming that the other child is a bully, and then they begin to bully themselves. One of my most infamous examples was uh, two kids. They were both in high school. One was a junior in high school, one was a sophomore in high school. They were taking a class. The sophomore was a very bright student, not very athletic. The older student was struggling with their grades, and they were very athletic. There was also a race component. There was a strong difference of opinion of the events that happened. The reality was, regardless of what occurred between the two boys, it only escalated when the parents became involved. Not that what happened between the boys didn't matter. It did. But when the parents became involved, they tried to bring a new escalation because as parents, you want to seek justice for your child. Definitely. And we know that Scripture says in Micah 6, 8, to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. And so we know that God is a God of justice. But shifting that gears, the first thing that, that Axis says that we say is to not overreact, to not react out of hate or anger, but quite frankly, stay very calm regardless if it's physical bullying or verbal bullying. Mm -hmm. And why is that so hard? Because yes, we are called to protect our kid, right? And the reason that we would encourage the staying calm is one, because the way that you model, this is, you are on stage with your kid right now your kid is watching you like a hawk and so the way that you model how you respond 
to difficult situations is going to be how they learn to respond to difficult situations. And that is a very difficult thing to do. And I would say we're not perfect at it. And we don't expect our parents to be perfect at, at that. At the same time, something else that I would, I would consider if your kid comes home and says, hey, I'm being bullied by this kid, is oftentimes our, our initial response is to send off that quick email. And even in that email, we can turn into a bully towards the teacher or towards administration or towards the other parent by throwing accusations and assumptions out. So we have to be aware that when we feel attacked, oftentimes our response is to attack the other person. And so that's where we need, and that's why we encourage parents to do what you can to stay calm. And if you need to vent, by all means, vent to the spouse, your spouse, um, vent to a counselor or some other other trusted person. But when you when it comes time to responding and addressing it with the school, the teachers, the other parent, have that clear head. So do what you need to do to clear your head, but come with a clear head. So my advice to parents would be this. There's nothing new under the sun the Lord has not seen, as it says in Joshua. Mm-hmm. And there isn't. And the school has seen a lot of different things. The school as an institution, the school within its, its community has seen a lot of different things. So if you're bringing that to the school, know that. This isn't the first time. This also doesn't mean that we're not doing something mm-hmm. about bullying and that it's being ignored. It may not be as pronounced as you would like it to be. But often what we do, and we say this frequently, is that consequences need to be consistent and quiet when we're dealing with a child because we're dealing with children. We're not dealing with adults. Exactly. Right? So, a few things here. Roy Moore, who is the founder and executive director of Be Strong, which is an anti-bullying group, says for parents, it's critical that you're first and foremost empathetic and to make sure your children know you hear them. He goes on to say one of the toughest things you'll have to deal with as a parent is controlling your reaction when your kids are being hurt. You will be tempted to go right into protect mode, become upset or angry, and swiftly mete out justice. But you must remain calm and gather all the facts. And I love that. I love that that phrase because so often it is, it's a reaction, do something. That is a hard thing. We are here to educate the whole child. Mm -hmm. We're here to partner with parents to educate the whole child. The reality is, if we're going to be reactionary, that's not going to be the best solution. If we can have the the time, the patience to be proactive or less reactive Mm -hmm. in that moment, it does a world of good for us. One of the things that I would also say is give your child a day off. If they're truly being bullied, give your child a day off. Let them stay home from school. Give them, give them some special attention and time. Sometimes breaks are needed. Definitely. My mom did that one year. Third grade, she took me to Boston for the weekend because it had been, we had a friend in Boston, so it had been so bad. And that and that helped immensely. Give, give your time kid to calm down. Give your kid time to calm down. Give you time to calm down. 
And you know, one of the interesting things that that comes to mind when you when you gave that quote from Roy, if we think about as adults, if we come to our spouse or a friend with a problem and they immediately say, well, this is how you can fix it. That does not feel good for us, right? That feels mm-hmm. super yeah. invalidating. And, and that is one of the common themes at times that we can see in marriages. Well, you know, you just want to fix and I just need to talk. That never happens. Um, <laughs> never, never. <laughs> so think about that with your kid. Think about how it feels when, when you share something very, because for kids, this is very vulnerable. You, they are outing a peer which is depending especially on how old they are the a large influence in their life so they're outing a peer they're defecting exactly they're defecting yes and that is a big step there is a lot of shame that comes with bullying uh, or being bullied there is the social fallout that comes with being bullied the the perception of being weak and so if you meet that right away with, well, I'm going to call your teacher and we're going to get this figured out, rather than listening, validating, hearing their experience, your kid is, could, could feel very shut down by that. One of the other key components that, that Access says is to not assign blame. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually really like this, often because when parents are reporting a child that's bullying, I immediately will say, okay, that kid may have just changed medications. That child is going through a very difficult time in their life. Their their parents are separated or whatever that may be. It could even be a dog dying and they're going to be expressing this grief. They're going to be expressing Mm -hmm. their confusion differently because our children, our students are still learning to communicate. Mm -hmm. And one of the other things that they they say is that children need our parents' wisdom, right? We, I still need my parents' wisdom. Children need their parents' wisdom. The other big thing is go to Scripture. Go to Scripture. If you look in Isaiah, for instance, there's so many times where God is proclaiming to through Isaiah and to Isaiah, you know, the fires will not consume you. The waters will not overcome you. And there, there's this depth that, that Scripture brings to a situation. Not that our children are always going to understand that, mm-hmm. but as parents, it allows us to see the longer picture. And we've talked before that our goal when a student comes at three years old is not for them to have the best preschool year ever. Well, that would be great. Yeah. Our goal is to get them across that graduation stage where they have learned more about Jesus and more about this world and how Jesus' worldview and love of his people impacts the world on a daily basis. We want to see that. But it, this is a journey and this is a process that we need to cover our children with the truth of God's word and the love that, that we can display as, our, as parents and to speak truth into their lives. Now, for your story, it mm-hmm. sounds like your parents did a great job mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I would not want to interact with a ringleader, even as an adult. No, I would not want totally to, fine. to interact with her. At the same time, uh, you know, the importance that was put on not responding to her in the same way that she was treating me I think helped immensely as and again I didn't do it perfectly like I said I I often would tease and bully my sister but even that my my parents were patient through um, and, and worked with me through that so I think the really important thing 
that parents have to understand too is that kids can play multiple roles. So it may be one kid is not always the bully um, and the other is the victim, so to speak, but that they can be in different roles with different peer groups at different times. So my recommendation when you're even talking to your kids about this is to really try and hold back on labeling the kids. So let's go to a couple of of quick things. The first is I think there's a difference between intimidators and bullies. Mm -hmm. I remember a guy I went to high school with, great athlete, really smart dude, didn't like him. I liked it when he liked me, but even then I always felt insecure. And there's some of those people that you feel around. He was he was an intimidator. He wasn't a bully. He never did anything that that was ridiculous. But often there's people that we feel just uncomfortable around. Yeah, definitely. Because they are had these intimidating personalities. They may not have the best social graces. They may not be endearing. They may stay mm-hmm. distant. Mm-hmm. But it feels intimidating. Or they may do something that is teasing or frankly just rude and uncalled for. Mm-hmm. The next area that, that I would I would want to define and, and would love some feedback here from you, Maria, is when a child comes home, especially young children, we see this starting as young as, as pre-K, kindergarten, I'm being pushed, I'm not being included, or they don't want to play the game that I want to play. And to a child, that is a major event. It feels big. Often that can be less than a second interaction for these children, yes. but it weighs heavily on them. How would you coach parents to responding in those moments of a child's interpreting these events? I'm being pushed. I'm not being included. They don't want to play the game I want to play. You know, this is one of the most difficult situations that comes into my office and is often the, and is, is the most frequent situation that comes into my office as well, especially the they don't want to play the game that I want to play. Yeah. So I think the most important thing that we can tell parents is to ask questions. That is the, the primary way to help help your kid is to understand what's what's actually going on. Ask questions about when it's happening, how they're feeling when it's happening, is is this going on with any other kids, all of those things. And part of that is to allow your kids an opportunity to talk. The other part of it is to get some information. The second thing I would say is trust the teacher we don't see everything. We can't see everything. But our teachers, I do believe, do their best to be aware of the social dynamics going on. Right. That being said, it's also important to understand that our kids are going to have difficult social situations. Obviously, bullying is another level than maybe not getting along with a kid here and there. But I think as parents, we have to have the stance that it is okay if our kid has a hard day. If it's not okay with us that our kid has a hard day, we are gonna live in a world of fear and anxiety that will drive us crazy and that will drive our kids crazy and that will make our kids hypersensitive and potentially create even more disturbance in their peer relationships, if that makes sense. Yeah, and one of the things that you and I have talked about before is Brene Brown even says Mm -hmm. she has a sign in her house for her kids, we do hard things. Yes. I think in the same way, we need to remind our kids we have bad days. Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Definitely. And I think, you know, and this is something that, especially once kids hit about third grade, they're really starting to learn and understand the abstract social world. And so, and kids hit that development at a different time. So while some kids are still super concrete, black and white, there may be others in their classroom who can understand jokes and sarcasm a little bit differently. And that creates potentially a big pot of, of mess. And we often see point. that between the oldest child in the family and the, and the youngest young, child. Yes, exactly. Where that youngest child has been exposed to a great deal more. Maybe they're allowed to watch some movies that the oldest mm-hmm. child is, is not allowed to watch. Maybe there's some language, some things like that that are going on. And that imbalance there, their life imbalance is not an imbalance of power, but it, it feels magnified when they're in the classroom together. Yes, definitely. And so even having a conversation with your kids about people are going to develop, and obviously using age-appropriate words, are going to develop at different times. And so they may not understand a joke in the same way that you do. Right. This happened with my brother and I all the time. And, and for me, it was very hard to kind of let things roll off my back because I tend to be sensitive. But... I, I had to remember that, you know, and he had to remember as an older brother, there are times when it's appropriate to joke and tease, and then there are times where that can be damaging. Obviously, finding that line and walking that line is very difficult. That's why we ask you guys, why we ask parents to be slow to, to anger, uh, to allow this to be a process, because some of this is kids developing at different times um, and some of it is kids learning how to maneuver in the social world and that is very scary for parents because we don't want our kids to hurt kids are going to have their feelings hurt they're going to fall down and scrape a knee and I'm never as concerned about that happening as I am about how do we process with them what happened right they're gonna experience pain and loss and suffering, even at this age, that's unavoidable. So rather than trying to shield and protect them from all of that, obviously we want to protect them to some degree, but how can we process with them when they have a bad day? Yeah. Maria, thanks. Thanks for your vulnerability with this. Parents, thanks for listening. Uh, Next time we'll have a new episode on a new topic, and if you are enjoying these and would like to hear different topics, feel free to email us. Uh, Feel free to call the office, whatever you need, but we are uh, thrilled to be able to do this. Thanks for listening. See you soon.